Today's podcast is brought to you by Dwen, the Dell Women's Entrepreneur Network powered by Dell Technologies. Dwen connects female entrepreneurs around the globe with networks, knowledge, and insight that gives them the power to do more. Learn more at Dwen.com. Welcome to the Dwen podcast on pivoting your business. I'm Ingrid Devon, the Global Director of Dwen, the Dell Women's Entrepreneur Network. I'm delighted to be joined for this podcast this morning by Samantha Snaves, co-founder of Read3D, and Michael Dermer, founder of The Lonely Entrepreneur. So I'd like to start the conversation by asking you both just to give an introduction um, of yourselves. Samantha, would you like to start? Sure. Thanks so much for um, having us. So I am um, Samantha, and I'm an Air Force Reservist on the weekends. And during the week, I have the honor of serving as a co-founder and catalyst for Re3D. We were um, a spinoff of Engineers Without Borders um, way back in uh, uh, 2013 while we were working at NASA Johnson Space Center and had a vision to make large, affordable 3D printers that started at the size of a toilet for under $10,000 that eventually could be modified to print directly from plastic trash. This is my second venture. Um, and with a brief stint, I guess, with a mess in between. So uh, that's a little about me. Great. Thanks, Samantha. Michael, over to you. Thank you so much for having me. So I'm Michael Dermer, the founder of The Lonely Entrepreneur. And in a previous life, I started uh, the first company in the United States to reward people for being healthy. Uh, Built that company up to about 500 people and sold it, but not before living through the financial crisis of 2008, which seems strikingly similar to where we are today. And then after being fortunate enough to sell that company, um, really wanted to give back to entrepreneurs and founded The Lonely Entrepreneur to try to help entrepreneurs have a real meaningful way to turn their passion into success. And it's a pleasure to be with you. Great. Thanks, Michael. So let's start with the basics. What do we mean by pivoting? And when should you think about pivoting your company? Samantha, would you like to start? Sure. Um, yeah, pivoting, it, um, it's a topic that comes up a lot with, uh, with startups. And I think traditionally, when we think of a pivot, we think of um, maybe starting to produce one product, and then based on feedback, we change our business model to produce a different product or service. Um, one thing that um, I've noticed over um, the, the course of my entrepreneurial journey is sometimes um, a pivot can just be the way um, a change in how you deliver your product or service or, or who you're selling it to. And um, typically it's based on um, demand. Uh, ultimately, we all have to make money. So if there's not a signal there, um, sometimes that, that suggests it's a good time to maybe um, start to evolve uh, your original concept. Great. And I mean, obviously, the, with all the change that's happened over the last few months, a lot of people are thinking about how do they do things differently? How do they pivot their business? Michael, anything that you would add? Anything that you've seen between, as you mentioned, when you had challenges with your business, you know, a number of years ago and the similarities to what's happening now? Well, I think that, you know, every entrepreneur believes, as we all do, they're creating something unique. Uh, and when you're doing that, there isn't a clear path forward. And so I think traditionally, as Samantha said, there's lots of times that an individual has to pivot, pivot and lead their company in a different direction. But I think more fundamentally, especially what's going on with COVID, is pivoting is really about finding, you know, as we like to say, your playground where nobody else is playing. And sometimes it's hard to find that um, when you have competition from everywhere, as we all do. And obviously, in a post-COVID environment, there's even more competition for the same dollars. 
really trying to find that spot where you win, uh, the playground where nobody else is playing, becomes the result of a really good pivot. Um, because yeah. as Samantha said, sometimes pivots can be change your product, change your pricing. But if we ask ourselves the question, if we all use the same tools and have access to the same money and use the same social media, why is it that one company wins or doesn't win? And sometimes pivots are too reactive as opposed to proactively really trying to find the playground where actually we win regardless of the environment. That's a great, I really like that phrase, finding the playground where no one else is, is playing. It's something, I think it's a memorable phrase that we'll all keep in mind. And so, you know, when you're pivoting your business, Michael, it's going to bring about a lot of change for a company and you need to have the right mindset to lead that change. What do you think, what advice would you give to the entrepreneurs out there who are th going, who are pivoting their company or thinking about doing it? What mindset and skills do you need to have? You know, it's, it's super interesting because you have to have this really healthy balance of two things that usually don't work well together, which is ego and humility, right? <laughs> you have to have, you have to have the ego to paint a vision, right? To find that playground and at the same time, have the humility to understand that you've got to be able to take feedback from different places, including, you know, your own team. And so um, I think that, that the, the basic mindset is if I do what everybody else is doing, right, and I'm a typical entrepreneur, I have less capital and less resources, and many entrepreneurs wake up in the middle of the night and go, what I'm doing is unique, but if Apple cares about it or Google cares about it, I'm in trouble, right? So you have to have this ability of, hey, we're going to change the world in, in whatever context that is. Um, for us, as you know, in our earlier company, rewarding people for being healthy didn't exist. Now it yeah. exists everywhere. At the same time, you, you have to have the humility, which frankly, I don't think I had coming off of, you know, I was an M&A lawyer and, and, you know, kind of go, go, go. Um, you have to have the humility to understand where those demand pockets are. And frankly, a lot of times in a new venture, the demand pockets have to be created. I mean, if you think about, if you listen to a lot of the, the, the learnings of Steve Jobs, he wasn't just creating what we were creating, he was defining what he thought we needed. And so those mindsets of saying, hey, I'm gonna have the ego to break through this, but also the humility to understand how industries currently work and using your entrepreneurial creativity to fit into that is, you know, what I just described is a lot, but is I think the, the key to the mindset you need to be successful. That's really, really important advice. Samantha, obviously as a leader, bringing your company through this change, you know, it's a very important role to play. What would you think is the, the, the job of the leader? Yeah, I think, um, I think Michael really, really hit on it. I think one is, cultivating that culture of humility, um, as well as a, a culture in a startup that's not only willing to take risk, but also, you know, willing to accept failure and, and learn from it. So, you know, one thing we do is, is, is a company try and enforce that is um, encourage all of our teammates at Refrigerate every Friday to share one win of the week, one failure of the week, and one kudos to someone else on the team is a way of kind of recognizing what's going on behind the scenes that might not get picked up in a podcast like this <laughs> um, and to celebrate each other and, and to learn um, from that. But, you know, I think Michael is also right in, in, in sharing that, you know, through all that, you have to have some level of creativity and in, in how you, you know, draw out um, opportunities and 
encourage your team to to be creative as a whole. Something that I think is really relevant during, say, a pandemic, and and I also had the the blessing and the curse of having my other venture during the last recession as well. Um, is is finding ways to look for signals. Um, obviously, things are changing right now, and no one has a crystal ball about the future. There isn't a, a you know a business school case study textbook on how to operate during a pandemic. And I certainly don't know necessarily what the future looks like for industrial centers when borders are shut down. But what I can do is is try to work with my team to construct a plan to figure out what are signals we can look for to understand who that that future market may be, what businesses may not be around that need our products or services, or what will be the new demand for our services. So, for example, one thing we're learning right now is people are spending a lot of time online to their service facility, and they can't go to school. So there's a huge appetite right now for online instruction with 3D printing um, that we have to satisfy. Um, But finding ways to cultivate like data-driven strategies to help your team map trends. you know, we've had to pivot a lot of what that model looks like since March, really, when we were starting to experience a, a slowdown. But, you know, now we have four or five months of data. Um, the other thing that we do as a team is uh, for our sales and marketing crew, every Tuesday, we take turns, a different person on our teams in a hot seat to talk about trends they saw in their microsphere, we call it, before COVID, during COVID, and what they anticipate afterwards. And it's been really enlightening to see different recommendations for our teammates and how, you know, if you do that enough times and you repeat it every week, just for 15 minutes, you start to see some common threads. Um, and then finally, I would say, you know, sharing those insights as much as possible uh, with the ecosystem, uh, just so you can, you know, as a startup, you only have one one little glimpse into what's going on. So you start to construct that larger picture and navigate it together. That's some really, really good advice, Samantha. And you talked about there about the execution of the plan. And I'd like to talk about that now is about getting that plan to pivot in place and, and what needs to be on that plan. Michael, what do you think are the most important things to be on that plan to survive? You know, this is one of these kind of non-sexy things that we all as entrepreneurs, you know, say, ah, you know, planning and execution. And really the successful entrepreneurs are the ones that actually take strategic thought and creativity and actually put them into a vehicle, right, to actually execute. Um, Organizations like Dell do that all day long, right? Imagine if you walked into Dell in your strategic planning session in the fall and said, we're going to do everything next year, right? They'd they'd walk you out of the building, right? Um, And for entrepreneurs, especially in the midst of things like we're going through right now, when you've got a lot of moving parts, you know, I remember, you know, back in 2008, we would say you didn't decide whether you're going to go left or right on the street. You had to decide whether, whether the street was going to be there. So when you have all these these moving parts and all this uncertainty, like the ones that Samantha mentioned, and not all the data you need, um, that plan has to be really focused, really disciplined. So first and foremost, you've got to take things off the plan. Like you've got to decide the things that you're not going to do when you have limited resources and uncertainty. And then you've got to go down to real basics, right? First and foremost is cash, right? Um, how do you optimize and maintain your existing cash, tap into new sources of cash, which we know there's government programs and the like. And then you go down to you know, the basics. You know, What are the things you have to do with respect to revenue? What are the things you have to do to rework your expenses, um, which includes obviously your employees uh, and, and their compensation and all those types of things. Uh, and then also what part of that plan has to be you as the leader 
really focusing on the process for executing that plan. You know, Samantha mentioned these kind of regular check-ins, which are really boring and really important, <laughs> um, especially when the ground's moving. And then finally, you know, you as the leader, making sure that that you've got a plan that's got all this complexity to it that you have to make sure you're managed through. And it needs, as Samantha said before, creativity, because it's not like cash and revenue expenses with all the uncertainty just comes to life. You need creativity. You have to make sure that all your energy and your emotion doesn't go to the what if, right? It goes to the execution of the plan because, you know, what succeeds is when you get that one more check in the mail or you reduce that expense or you get that one more customer or one of your strategies works. Wondering about what if doesn't do anything. And, and frankly, you need so much of your emotional energy to, to be creative um, that you have to make sure that you as the leader are putting your energy into executing those pieces, um, which have a lot of complexity in a regular process to try to stay on track the best you can. That's a lot of things to remember, but really, really important. <laughs> <laughs> and Samantha, you've been through, you've pivoted your business. Um, you know, Michael's talked about there are some of the things that you've just got to hold on to and some of the things that you've got to let go. Has there been anything that you found in your experience that you've had to let go? But you've had to really make a big change. Yeah, I mean, I think there's, um, <laughs> I would say ego is definitely a big part of it. You know, <laughs> I think, uh, you know, you think as an entrepreneur, um, for, for many of us, we, we started our business because we were trying to solve a problem and you think you have the answer. And, um, you know, now I would say, and, and this time there's probably more questions than answers. So just really being able to um, submit yourself to that. I think um, in terms of not just letting go, but what do you hold on to? For us, um, what we decided is we were willing to let go of a lot, but what we wouldn't let go of was our social mission. So when when it became very evident when Selfie was you know canceled and we were going to do a, a, a launch of our recycled furniture with Dell at South by Southwest, that wasn't happening. You know, we got our our team together virtually and, and said okay, um, it looks like the environment is going to be radically different for a while. Um, what, how, how should we respond to this in, in terms of, you know, our goal is to make 3D printing accessible. And we recognize that, you know, 50 eyes are, are better than four. Just to be my co-founder. We ask that question on all hands every week. And it's been fascinating. Um, one of our efforts right now, PPE for the People, uh, was inspired by our shipping manager who identified early on that, would need help reopening and she wanted to get her nails done and realized that the shop that um she gets her nail or salon that she gets her nails done at uh, was minority owned and they weren't eligible for the ppp loan and a number of people that worked there um were really hurting financially so she wanted to support them but she realized they would need a safe way to be able to um, you know apply nail polish would, would change so we started working on splash guards in addition to other PPP and and that rolled into a partnership with Impact Hub and, and um, is now scaling. So I, I think you, you know, really think about, you know, what is it that's going to make it worth fighting for your business every day and draw your team together um, in a way that, you know, can support each other personally as, as well as um, that social focus, because it's just, it, it would be easier to, you know, to give up. So we've got to have a reason to wake up in the morning and just to continue to, you know, stay up late and get up early and, and, and <laughs> <get together. 
and keep going. But it's a really good point that social, you know, that social focus or mission, it's what really drives you and it's, it's what make a difference. And it's, you know, it's come back to there. It's about looking after each other too, which is really important at times like this. Um, so going to the, to slightly change attack, Michael, I'd love to ask you just a little bit, how do you, how do you win revenue in a crisis? You know, it's, it's interesting because, you know, not even just in the crisis, Ingrid, but, but if you think about the way um, everyone's going to emerge out of this, right, is that if you had a yoga studio or a nail salon, right, uh, but take a yoga studio that was, you know, delivering in-person classes and, and not only are you shifting online, but now everybody else is shifting online. So even these kind of minor pivots, right, are going to result in things that everybody else is doing. So I think that we we can't just think about, okay, we have an ice cream cone and now we're going to put different sprinkles on the ice cream cone because everybody else is doing that, right? If if the way we like to think about it is if someone was dropped here from Saturn and started a yoga studio and didn't know anything pre-COVID, post-COVID, what would they do? They'd say, oh, we can't have physical classes. We're going to do everything online. So when you think about winning revenue, um, what you really have to do is is to bring a knowledge and a know-how that nobody else has right and and that has to really stand through because we all have this perception even pre-covid that we can get everything for free right yeah. not 100 percent <laughs> true but like right now if you wanted to get an audi you could probably walk into an audi dealership and say i'd like to test drive this for three months for free if you want my business right so when all of this emerges and all the dust settles and you say okay how does with that i win um you have to del- to show that if somebody doing business with you gives them a know-how and knowledge that without that knowledge, they're going to lose. Because remember, we're competing with a price of zero, right? So if you walk into a department store after this and the, the salesperson says, I wouldn't wear those dress with that, those shoes, right? You're like, I need that person, <laughs> right? And, and so if you said, I'm going to go, I'm going to leave the Dell facility in Dallas and I'm going to go for a run. And somebody said, yeah, but, but make sure when you turn down first street, there's a pothole right there, right? It's the know-how of not just how I yeah. put my yoga studio online, but do you have a unique know-how? Because everybody faces competition. Everybody's, somebody else always has more capital than you and more resources to you. So if you're just lining up the way everybody else does it, you can't win revenue, right? Because somebody else is willing to give it for free. And especially given the, you know, the dramatic impact on employment, there's a, everybody's chasing the same dollars. You've got to be able to first and foremost say to somebody, uh, I know something that is going to make you, you know, succeed or prevent failing. And that's why you do business with us, whether it's a consumer or a business. And I think that has to raise to the top to really stand out to win revenue, you know, in and around the crisis. And you know, that's really interesting. And it's, you know, all about being innovative and creative and thinking differently. Yeah. Is there any tips? There's a lot of people out there now and they're looking at their business and they're thinking, how do I do this? What will work for me? And, and they're not quite sure. Any tips to really help people to be more creative and innovative? Anything that's helped you in the past? Yeah, I know, I know that um, if you're thinking about models that naturally come to mind in your business, they're probably not going to be successful, right? Because that's what everybody else is doing. Um, and so you really have to focus on what do I know? Now, there's a lot of things that we know, this know-how that, that we just are second nature to us. I, I give you an example. 
international PR firm. We did a bunch of work with them, whole bunch of really talented PR professionals in the room, really highly competitive industry, right? And now really struggling. And we said, hey, do you realize that on the seventh floor of the Burj Khalifa, you know, the tallest business in the, the building in the world in Dubai, no Americans are allowed to stay on that floor. And all the PR firm people started talking to each other and raising their hands and whatever. And we paused and we said, we just completely made that up. But for a second, right, you went, I got to have that. And so you have to try to figure that out in your business. It could be Samantha, it could be 3D printing. Yeah, anybody can 3D print, anybody can do this, but but make sure you don't do these three things. Like you have to be able to bring that out. You know, Dell has it in his business. Everybody has it in this in their business. You have to bring that front and center because so many people are competing for the same dollars. And you really have to almost run a process within your organization to extract out the things that, how does the person on the other side of the table from me, the figurative table, win or lose based on the, the knowledge that I have and how do I bring that bring that to the fore? That's great. Great advice. I, I think that as I run a network as well <laughs> for women entrepreneurs, we're always trying yeah. to think, you know, what can we do that will be really different and that will that will enable them to support each other and connect? Um, and on that, you know, as I'm just talking about the network that we have for women entrepreneurs, Samantha, can you talk a little bit about, you know, what support you've got from different communities, how they've helped you, um, you know, over the last while or just in general? Yeah, we've um, <clears throat> we've been really blessed to participate in um, a number of communities over the years, being a, a social <laughs> enterprise um, and, and being open source. but. Um, We've also kind of leaned on them pretty heavily um, when 2017 came along and, and three hurricanes um, hit our Houston and Puerto Rican offices in a short period of time um, while I was actually deployed in, in, in South Korea. Um, and in particular, it was, you know, Bunker, Bunker Labs, uh, which is a community for vet entrepreneurs, was really instrumental in, in making sure that my co-founder was taken care of and our team and um, we were connecting to, to resources um, to support us. And uh, what, what we found is that there are, you know, doing business now is it's, it's a really great time. It's probably never been a better time to have a small business because there's just so many resources out there. Um, so what we, we try to do is encourage um, the companies that we mentor to think about, you know, their product, to think about their mission and their focus area, where they live. Um, uh, demographics that they relate to, because there's probably a community that, you know, can serve that. So the veteran community um, as, as an active reservist is a, is a great resource for me. Also, you know, being a woman in tech right now, the, the, um, it's an interesting time to, to connect with other women and to get supported. So communities like Dwin um, have been really helpful as well, you know, during during the time that we were all trying to figure out how to get the PPP loan, for example, uh, the Austin Twin chapter had a, I believe it was like a virtual lunch. And it was really normalizing because some people were trying to pursue hundreds of thousands of dollars and some people were looking for really small loans. And many of us had missed that first round. And there was a lot of misinformation and confusion about how we were competitive in the second round. And um, it was really reassuring for us. And, and thankfully, we were able to get um, the loan. And then we participated since in the in the Houston Dwin chapter, and it, I had an opportunity to pay it forward um, with the with the organizer who um, we were you know trading trading lists of resources that are available like Dwin um, and grants right now um, to grow, and she was able to take 
uh, of one of the resources that we had passed along. So, you know, I think there's a, there's a give and a take. There's a number of communities out there um, that can allow you to share resources um, or just, you know, just to cry together. Um, so <laughs> I think it's never been more important to, you know, find your tribe, if you will, take advantage of those um, virtual happy hours, even if, you know, you've been on the screen all day and, and to build those relationships because, you know, people want to help and, um, we all need to, uh, kind of charge forward as a, as a collective. <laughs> and it is, you know, I saw a LinkedIn post and that lady you were talking about, she was saying your advice made such a huge difference to her business. Aww. And that's, you know, that's so important. Um, Michael, just to finish off, anything else that you would like to add, um, about the importance of communities? Yeah, I think that, you know, Samantha said, especially about, you know, organizations like Dwen, um, you're really tapping into, you know, an area that makes you, makes the, the organization and the network feel like you get them. Like, we can all find functional solutions. We can find business plan templates. We can find, but part of it is, okay, you get me, you understand me, right? And if you know what's being talked about at the dinner table between husbands and wives and, you know, mothers and daughters, I mean, that's the part to me, the networks that matter, because once you feel like, like they get you and they understand you, then the ability to turn to them with a, with a trust, right. Cause you know what it's like to sit, sit in their shoes and to be able to say, yeah, okay, here's how you find your digital marketing vendor. And here's how you source this. And here's how you pivot and all that kind of stuff. So I think the foundation of communities that really makes sense is the entrepreneur, men and women get hit from everywhere. Everyone comes at them and says, I can help you. I can help you. I get you. I understand you. But you really know when they do, right? Um, and that's obviously the, the DNA of the lonely entrepreneur and obviously the same type of thing that Dwen is doing. So you know, when, when you're talking to the women out there um, about what they're really experiencing, and this is partly business issues and partly personal issues, right? The, the issue is not, hey, can I create a, a, you know, some law firm comes and says, I'll create your co-founder agreement. That's not it. It's why is my co-founder getting so much equity when I put in all the time and effort and money, right? It's, it's, it's when, you, when you feel like your network gets you, that's where there's kind of this, um, different perspective on sharing the struggle, looking for solutions and being genuine that in a world of social media clutter is very hard to find. And so when you find those networks, um, as Samantha said, you know, when you have, we're fortunate enough because as part of Lonely Entrepreneur, as you know, we gave away this free entrepreneur survival guide to everybody during the crisis. And we have people coming to us all over the place. And when somebody says, Hey, listen, I found my tribe. I found my yin to your yang. Like, those types of things are like, wow, we can really help these people. And it's the same type of thing that I think, you know, Dwen, you know, is able to do for the, for the women in your network as well. Yeah. I remember I got great feedback from one of our members in the UK, actually. And she said to me, you know, she said with Dwen, she said, I, I now have friends who are entrepreneurs who, un they are friends who understand my challenges. You know, she said, I have a lot of friends in many different areas, which is brilliant, but these friends understand my struggles as an entrepreneur and the challenges I'm going through. And I think that's a lovely thing to be able to, to support and offer to women. And so I'd like to close out by thanking you both so much for your time today. Um, and what you're doing will hopefully, you know, support many entrepreneurs out there who will listen to this podcast. Um, so thank you both. And I hope you both stay safe and well. And to everybody who's listening as well, 
take care and stay stay safe. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks so much.